Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. I love Vanguard Church. I love being here. Um, And one of my favorite memories um, was back in the elementary, um, up on the stage. I actually went in there this morning just to relive that moment for a little bit. Uh, But as students, we got to lead each other in worship. And I loved it. And we had this one song about living in an upside-down kingdom And it is the most exhausting motions to any song I've ever done. As a kid, I loved it because I finally got to get my energy out. And then I came back as a leader and was like, why did we ever do this song? It is so tiring. But basically the lyrics would be like, I get down and he lifts me up and I get down. And you do that over and over and over for the entire song. Just getting down and getting up and getting down and getting up. I think it was intentional to get our energy out, but... I loved it so much, I got to the point that I would jump as high as I could and then just like fall flat onto the stage. Like I was trying to get as high as I could and then as low as I could, and it was just jumping up and falling down and jumping up and falling down. And it was exhausting and I loved it. I loved it for multiple reasons though, because one, it got my energy out, uh, but I loved it because I got to be a leader. I got to be up on stage leading the other kids in the class. Um, And that has been something that has been a passion of mine for my entire life. I love to lead. And I always wanted to be the leader. Any chance I got, whether the teacher was leaving the classroom for a minute or it was the line leader or leading worship, I always wanted to be the leader. And then I started actually getting leadership positions and realizing that, man, leadership is hard work. It's not always what it's cracked out to be. There's not always all the benefits. Sometimes it's really hard. And then you throw in the people that you're leading, not wanting to be led, and it gets that much harder. Uh, So we're going to dive into 1 Corinthians today. We're going to continue our series in thirsty um, followers becoming, nope, thirsty, thorny Christians becoming thirsty followers. Um, One of us besides Kelly will get it one of these days. Um, But Paul is leading the church of Corinth, and they do not want to be led. And so he's trying to convince them of why they should be following him. Um, And he's going to be contrasting the way the church of Corinth is living with how the apostles are actually living. And saying, hey, if you want to be a leader for Christ, your life should look much more like the apostles than the way that your life looks now. And the challenging part of that for us today is I think that if we take a moment to step back and look at ourselves, we'll see ourselves much more as the Corinthians than as the apostles. Uh, But there is good news today. Jesus wants to help us to be thirsty followers for him. Um, And so as we're going through today, um, we're going to be asking that question of what are the distinguishing characteristics of thirsty leaders? So we can be followers of Christ, but God calls us to be a leader for him. 
And we're going to be looking at his plans and his steps for us to be able to do that well. So what are the distinguishing characteristics of a thirsty leader? Um, And I want you guys to keep in mind that song that I started us off with. It says, we're living in a kingdom upside down. I get down, he lifts me up again. I get down. It's an upside down kingdom. And as we look at the characteristics of a leader, I want you to keep in that, that in mind because a lot of what we anticipate is actually pretty upside down within God's kingdom. So 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2 this morning. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Now, if you've been around the church, you've probably heard of the term servant leadership. But outside of following Jesus, the first characteristic of a leader probably isn't servant. But Jesus says, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. God's calling us to be sacrificial and looking to love and serve others. If you want to be a leader for Christ, the first and most important aspect is being a servant to others. But being a servant is sacrificial. It costs you something. So I want to ask you guys, where is an area that you can be sacrificial in your serving this week? One of the honors of teaching is that you get the message three times. You have to write the message, you have to give the message, and then you have to continue to apply the message for yourself. Um, I think one of the reasons God made me a teacher was he knew that I would have to hear the same message three times for it to apply to my life. Um, And so as I've been praying and working on this message, God's been like, oh, you want to talk about sacrificial serving? Here's some opportunities for you. I mean, it can be as simple as staying up an extra 15 minutes to clean up um, my daughter's blocks that she spilled everywhere just so that we can walk through the house in the morning. And it's something simple where it's like I'm sacrificing some of my sleep, but in the morning, my wife is much happier. My child gets the joy of spilling them all back on the floor right away first thing in the morning. It's these little moments of sacrificial service that make a difference. And I guarantee you, we all want to follow someone who is serving us. And if you want to, uh, people to follow you, volunteer to do the things that they don't want to do in the job or the position. And they will appreciate you for it, love you for it, and follow you for it. But instead of elevating ourselves, we need to be the servants of those around us. Just as Jesus did for us, so we also need to do but we're also called to be stewards. It says, stewards of the mysteries of God. What in the world are the mysteries of God? If it's a mystery, can it be known? Can we unravel it ourselves? But in Ephesians, Paul tells us that the mystery has been hidden in years past, but has been revealed to the apostles through the Holy Spirit. And that mystery is that Gentiles are co-heirs, fellow partakers of the promises through Jesus Christ, through the gospel. We are stewards of the gospel of Jesus. And the gospel of Jesus 
is the good news of the power of the cross. Paul says, I preach Christ and him crucified because Jesus, the son of man, the son of God, 100% God, 100% man, came to live on earth and to die on the cross in our places. He died for my sins. He died for your sins so that we can live eternally free in his presence. That is what we get to steward. God has said, I have given you these good gifts. I've given you the Holy Spirit to steward my gospel so that everyone in your life can hear, know, and experience the everlasting love of God, where no sin is too great for his love and his mercy and grace abounds even more. As Christians, I think so often we get hung up for a moment on, I've heard this before. Especially for me growing up, I heard the gospel almost every day of my life because I had godly parents and I'm so thankful for that. But it made the story old for me. It was like, yeah, I've been saved by grace. And I just kept living my life because I was so used to that truth but I want us to take a moment and reflect together on what the truth of that actually means. You have been saved by grace through the power of the cross. Sin no longer has a hold on you. You've been set free by the Holy Spirit to love and worship Jesus forever, to be in relationship with God the Father. As leaders, we get to steward that truth. The blood of the lamb has paid for everything. How are we stewarding the greatest news the world has ever heard? Are we willing to share with our loved ones and our neighbors? Are we willing to share with the strangers that we come across? We proclaim Christ and him crucified through our acts of service as a servant leader and through our words as stewards of the gospel. And man, that's one that's hard for me because I have some very dear loved ones that I'm like, I pray for them daily, but I don't know if they'll ever respond to the gospel. And then Jesus will prod me with, well, maybe you need to share the gospel again. And I always think, ah, but maybe they're too far gone. I'll pray for them, but how will they ever listen to me? How will they ever believe this good news from me? And God says, no, I want you to steward the gospel. Paul says in Romans, how can they believe if they haven't heard? And it's the work of the Holy Spirit to prepare their hearts to receive the message. So I'll ask the Holy Spirit to prepare their hearts, but then I need to be responsible to steward this gospel well and share it. So where's an opportunity in your life this week to serve and to steward? What does that look like for you? And again, as I've written this message, God's had me answer that question for myself as I wrote it. He's bringing things to mind now as I speak it to you. And as I go home to apply this message myself this week, he's gonna keep bringing it up. But these are questions that are important for us to answer. We always talk about next steps. What's your next step of service? What's your next step of stewardship? 
And as you walk faithfully in those, God will give you opportunity to be a leader for him to those in your life. But to be a leader is hard. There's lots of things that try to get our attention. Paul's gonna continue in 1 Corinthians 4, 3 and address some of that. He says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I forgot to highlight it earlier, but the first point was servants and stewards. A key characteristic was servants and stewards. Hopefully you picked up on that. This second key point, this key characteristic that Paul is emphasizing is we need to live for an audience of one. We need to live for an audience of one. Jesus says it is impossible to serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. And when you're looking to be a servant of others, it's very easy to be caught up in trying to please them, to live to serve them. And there's nothing more draining than trying to live to serve people because they'll just keep asking more of you. We need to live for an audience of one. Paul says, it is the Lord who will come, who will come to bring to light the things now hidden. We'll receive our commendation from God. He will reward us for our good works but you can't be a leader for Christ while living for people. In high school, I was going through a really dark time. It was one of the first times that my depression really hit me full, for, full force. And a lot of my friends were mad at each other or um, fighting. And I was kind of caught in the middle of some of these relationships. And I was trying to figure out how to please all of my friends while trying to juggle my sports my job, my schoolwork, spending time with my family, and it all just felt like way too much to deal with. How can I be a good friend to this person if it costs me being a good friend with this person? How can I get my schoolwork done when I have sports, when I have regular work? How can I handle everything on my plate all at once? And how can I please multiple people at once and serve them when it seems to be at odds with the other people in my life. And I had this one teacher, my biology teacher. She was my biology teacher my freshman year. Um, and she was one of the most impactful people in my life. Mrs. Dillon, she capped me. Um, she was the type of teacher that my freshman year, I didn't get to go to state for wrestling. I didn't make varsity. And she said, you know what? I'll take one of my three personal days to take you and two or three of the other freshman wrestlers, and we'll all go to state together. We'll go watch the wrestling, and we'll just hang out for the day. She loved me so well. She loved me so well and taught me so much about Jesus that I decided to come back and be her TA one year, and then I also decided to take um, aerobics with her just to have her as a teacher again. Um, and it was during this time I took aerobics just to have her again, and she pulled me aside, and she's like, Micah, 
I can tell that you are really struggling. You're having a hard time right now. You need to know that you need to live for an audience of one. Who is the one most important person in your life to live for? She's like, I know you love Jesus, but right now, if you try to focus on taking care of all of these other aspects and pleasing all of these people, you're going to get burned out. It's not going to work. You can't please everyone. But if you live for an audience of one, everything else will fall into place. Now, it didn't make things easier, but when your priority is to say, I'm going to live my life for Jesus. I'm going to choose to spend the next 30 minutes for Jesus. 30 minutes at a time. This next hour, I'm gonna live for Jesus. Today, I'm going to live for Jesus. All of a sudden, prioritization is a little bit easier. That balance between work and school and homework and saying, okay, God, I'm going to clean this toilet at work for you. I don't like cleaning toilets, but if this was Jesus' toilet, how would I clean it? If this was Jesus in front of me as I'm serving, how would I interact with this person in front of me? This homework, God, I don't know how to do homework for you, but I'm gonna sure try. I'm going to do this for my audience of one. And if he is pleased with me, nothing else matters. And the good news is because of the sacrifice of Jesus, he is pleased with you. So often we say, yes, God loves me, but I'm not so sure he likes me. But man, does God like you. God likes to be with you. And we get to spend our life living for his audience, for his pleasure. Your life is a stage and you are performing for Jesus. You just get to live for him. And if you want to be a key leader for Christ, you have to live for him. It says that God will judge us and God will reward us because he sees the motivations of our heart. So often we think of things hidden in the darkness being brought to light as a scary thing. But Paul is also saying those hidden motives in your heart, those choices that you made that nobody else saw, God's gonna bring to light and reward those. And we get to live as an audience for him. But living as for an audience of him and him alone and being a servant and a steward requires one other really important element. And it's one of the elements that's been the hardest for me to learn and God keeps trying to uh, knock it into my head a little bit. And that is humility. Point three today is going to be key, a key element of a thirsty leader is being humble. You can't be a servant if you're not humble. You can't live for an audience of one if you're not humble. And pride has been one of those thorns in my flesh for all of my life. I love to boast, but Paul knows how dangerous that is for a leader, so he directly addresses it. He said, I have applied all these things to myself and to Apollos for your benefits, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, 
Why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Why do you boast as if it was something that you earned or did for yourself? God gifted me to be naturally good at school. And man, did I love to boast about that. And man, is it still such a temptation for me to boast about a gift that God has given me. But Paul says, we boast in the cross because what we received is from God. We all have natural inherent gifts that we have received, but we've all received them. Everything you have is a gift. James says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights above. Everything we received, and the Corinthians were letting their gifts, especially the spiritual gifts, cause division and disunity among them. We've been talking lately about how the Corinthians were like, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Paul. And they were divided as a church. And they were letting their gifts that they had received cause division among them. But Paul reminds us that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The penalty for sin is death, but the free gift of God in Christ Jesus is life everlasting. What have we received but the gospel of Jesus? And that should make us the most humble of people. That Christ seeing me in my sin and brokenness loved me, died for me, and then conquered the grave for me and is coming back for me. None of us could have earned the love of God. We've all received it as a gift. And if that's the case, we need to be walking humbly one with another, especially within the church. If you want to be a leader for Christ, it takes walking in humility because nothing we have we earned ourselves. It's all a gift from God. But as we are living humbly and serving people and being good stewards of the gospel and living for an audience of one, other people notice it. Continue reading with me in 1 Corinthians 4, 18 through 13. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, extremely humble, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. I want you to notice this last part especially. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and and are still like the scum of the world and the refuse of all things. 
Now, that's not really a term that I would like to use to describe myself. But Paul, again, is contrasting the way the Corinthians are living with how the apostles are. He's saying, you're receiving all of this honor and glory, but we're reviled. If you truly want to be a leader, your life needs to reflect that of the apostles. But the world notices. He said, we've become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. Key characteristic number four today is you live a life on display. You live for an audience of one, but your life is on display. Again, notice that last part. When, we, when reviled, we blessed. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. How you respond will be seen by the world. And when you bless when you're persecuted, when you entreat with people when they're reviling you, the world sees, the angels see, and men see. The way you live your life for the audience of one will make a difference in the lives of the people around you. We've often said, actions speak louder than words, and it's way overused because of how true it is. When you live a life for an audience of one, when you truly say, God, I want to praise and honor you today in this moment with how I interact with this person, the world will see it. Your life is on display and people notice. And that gives you more opportunity to serve and to be a steward of that good news. When your life is on display, people say, I want that. There's something different about that person. I can see the Holy Spirit in them. And there's something about it that I want because I've been made to be in a relationship with God the Father. Now, they don't know that, but that's their heart's cry. God made them to be in relationship, and their heart's cry is to be uh, reconnected with their Father, to be in restored relationship. And so when they see you living in that relationship, it stirs something in them to say, that is what I was made for, and that's what I want. And when you live your life for an audience of one through stewardship and service, humbly, people notice because your life is now on display for the whole world to see. And that's the influence that you can have as a leader is that by living for an audience of one, it allows you to manage everything that you're trying to juggle in a way that displays it to the world for them to see Christ in you. And that what gives you leadership for them. They'll see that, they'll ask, and then you'll get the opportunity to lead them through that into real relationship with Jesus. All because your life is on display. I want to highlight one final element that I think might be the most important out of all of these. They're all important, but this one has special significance. Paul says, I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I 
Teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? So first, I think it's really important to notice Paul is reiterating several times, I'm coming to you with love. I'm admonishing you as children. Yes, I'm speaking hard things, but it's out of love for your own good. Yes, being told that you're not living for Christ the way that you should, and instead of being a servant, you're trying to serve yourself. And try, instead of being a steward, you're trying to own it. Instead of living for an audience of one, you're living for an audience of others so that they can see you. Instead of walking humbly, you're being prideful. He's saying, I'm telling you these things because I love you. But the most important characteristic of a good leader is to be a follower. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. You can't lead until you've learned to follow. And man, has that been one of the harder lessons for me to learn. To be able to be humble enough to be led is the first step of being a good leader for Christ. A lot of times someone will speak something into my life and immediately I'll fight back against it and have all of the reasons why I'm right. And the reason I'm fighting back against it most often is because it's true. And I don't want to admit it's true. But I need a leader to speak into my life like Paul is speaking to the Corinthians to say, hey, maybe this aspect of your life isn't quite in line with what God wants for you. And I need to be able to follow their wisdom and guidance and direction to do that. And I can't tell you how much I've learned from my leaders on how to lead well. Having someone to follow is so important to your leadership. Whether that's leading your kids, leading a coworker, leading a multi-million dollar company, we all need someone to follow. There were so many times that I would be completely lost. And I would go to Jenny or Kelly or my father or someone else that I follow and say, I don't know what to do in this situation. I don't know how to lead well through this. What in the world do I do? And having someone that I follow to be able to speak into my life and help me lead and disciple well is one of the most important aspects of being a leader. And again, no matter where you're at in life, God is calling you to be a leader to lead others to Christ. And to do that well, you need to have someone that you're willing to follow. And it's such a blessing when you find someone to follow. Just make sure that that person loves God and loves you in that order. This world is so upside down from what God originally intended. The world says to be a leader, you need to be the one in charge. You need everyone to like you, to follow you. You need to be proud about it. But God says, my plan for leaders is to be a servant, to be a steward of what I've given you, to live for an audience of one instead of living for an audience of others, to be humble instead of proud because everything we've been given is a gift. Then God says, when you do this, I will put your life on display and give you opportunity to steward that gospel. 
And again, it's not on display for our glory, but to reflect his. We're on display so that Jesus receives more glory. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central Podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.